Welcome to the Panic Attack Recovery Podcast, an ongoing source of practical strategies and tips for anxiety and ADHD. We're a collaboration of former sufferers helping those currently struggling with anxiety, panic attacks, and ADHD so they can express their true competencies in life. Now, here is Matthew, your host. Hi, it's Matthew from PanicAttackRecovery.com. Thank you for joining me for another podcast. Many people search for an all-encompassing solution when it comes to anxiety, panic attacks, and ADHD. Regretfully, many people will search for one magic pill. And I'm here to tell you that there's no one thing, but rather it's a collection of strategies and steps that you take that can really help you recover and heal from your condition. If you think about it, even if some of the things you do for your anxiety don't work, and some do, there is still an overall benefit if you follow what I'm saying. Or here's another way to look at it. If everything you do maybe just makes a little bit of a difference, well, collectively, this will translate into a really big benefit, especially if you're doing a number of things. Another way to phrase this is it actually can make a huge benefit for you in the aggregate, in the collective sense. Now think about this and keep this in the back of your mind for the rest of this podcast episode. What I found in the panic attack recovery community is that being realistic about solutions can be very helpful because you don't set yourself up for failure. That's why we stress a comprehensive approach to anxiety and ADHD and really mental health. So you look at all factors, spiritual, mental, physical, financial, all aspects of your life. Another way to phrase this is a biopsychosocial model, which we've talked about before. But the reason I wanted to talk about it today is that many times all of us, I'm sure yourself included, have sometimes felt that things just really aren't working. You're not getting better. You feel like you're regressing. But I wanted to really share some insights that many people in the community have noted. And by keeping these things in the back of your mind, I think that gives you a more realistic outlook that's sustainable and can make a difference in the long run. So here are a couple of things to keep in mind. Not every strategy works all of the time. Not everything is noticeable all the time. Something might be working, a strategy or a tip or a technique or a supplement you're taking, whatever, but you may not really notice the benefit. But it doesn't mean that there isn't a benefit. Things that are good for us and help us don't necessarily provide an immediate sense of benefit. And also, many small effects, as I said, really do add up over time. Now, sometimes the effects of certain strategies are more noticeable than others, but taken together, many small effects equal a large effect. I'd like to provide a couple of refreshers about some of the strategies that we shared, and what I'm going to do is make this a two-part series. What I'd like to do is I'd like to list and summarize briefly the techniques that we've shared in the past to have a number of them talked about in one episode I think will be helpful. And part two of this episode, the next time we do another podcast, then I will actually continue along the discussion to give you a complete two-part series, if you will, that covers a number of strategies that we have shared in our newsletter on an ongoing basis and things that you can integrate fairly easily into your routine. I don't want anyone to ever despair and think that there aren't options out there. There are many options that you can do, and there are always ongoing strategies and techniques that one can try as well. My hope today is to give you a number of strategies that you can use. Something we've discussed before is breathing exercises. 
We shared before that breathing exercises are easy to do, they're quick to do, but it's really the regularity that's effective. And they're a very cost-effective technique for stress. You don't have to pay for anything. We have shared a number of strategies. We've done podcast episodes on breathing exercises. We have a number of articles on our website about breathing exercises. We've shared this in our newsletter. And also we've done a number of YouTube videos about this. A very quick exercise that we would recommend is the breathing exercise of Dr. Andrew Weil that he shares. You can easily do a search online for this or look on YouTube and you'll see some really helpful videos demonstrating the 478 breathing technique. So that's Dr. Andrew Weil, 478 breathing technique, or just tune into a previous episode where we discuss breathing when we discuss the biopsychosocial model of anxiety and ADHD. One of the reasons why breathing is so effective is that it can give you an immediate sense of relaxation and relief, and it can help you de-stress in the moment, and it's easily integrated into your daily routine. And speaking about relaxation, another form that we would like to discuss is hypnosis. We have talked about using hypnosis for stress and anxiety, but one of the things that we like about hypnosis, it's something that Dr. Herbert Benson, a term he coined called the relaxation response. He was referring to the physiological changes that happen within the body when the body is relaxed during meditation and hypnosis. But what we like about hypnosis is that many people find hypnosis easy to do, uh, quick to do again. You don't have to do hypnosis for a lengthy period of time. And sometimes people feel a bit overwhelmed about meditation. So starting out easy, hypnosis can be quite helpful. Now, what's really kind of cool about hypnosis is you can do a simple script. You can generate your own script with hypnosis and just make a little relaxation script. Or you can do another form of self-hypnosis for relaxation. But you can also develop a script to program you for certain things. So uh, what some people do with hypnosis is they will make a script that works on improving their concentration or maybe in improving their impulsivity or bringing calm into situations. Having a script where you're sort of visualizing or bringing calm, you're sort of programming yourself with your script to bring calm into situations where you're normally nervous. So there are a number of cool things that you can integrate into hypnosis. Nowadays with electronic devices, it's very easy for people to record a simple script on their smartphone and play it back with headphones or just simply listen to it and do an easy relaxation hypnosis. There are many resources you can find online at your local library. And we shared a number through our website as well and through our newsletter and videos. And that leads me next to meditation. Meditation helps with something called mindfulness. We like to talk about a study that Dr. Daniel Goleman discusses in his video on focus. He mentions a study where the authors concluded the following, and I'm quoting, These results suggest that mindfulness-based therapy is a promising intervention for treating anxiety and mood problems in clinical populations. And Dr. Goleman discusses also the power of mindfulness, which he refers to as cognitive control. In particular, Dr. Goleman discussed a longitudinal study in New Zealand. The results of that study revealed that, and again I'm quoting, cognitive control was a better predictor of financial success and health later in life than the subject's IQ or socioeconomic status of the family. End quote. And mindfulness is simple to achieve by following two simple steps. Number one, by choosing to focus your attention on the present moment and really making a commitment in this regard. And two, 
bringing your attention back to the moment when it begins to drift. So over time, by integrating this routine just throughout your day, you can start to have an awareness when your focus and your attention starts to wander, and then you can train yourself to bring it back. So now, on to the next item that I would like to discuss, physical exercise. Dr. John Rady, who has written a book called Spark, The Revolutionary New Science of Exercise in the Brain, explains how exercise, particularly sustained aerobic exercise, promotes improved learning, memory, and executive functioning. Now, for you ADHDers out there and, and others out there, executive functioning refers to the ability to organize a variety of tasks in our day-to-day -day lives. For example, the ability to initiate and stop actions, to monitor and change behavior as needed, and to plan future behavior when faced with novel tasks and situations. In plain English, being able to get anything done and sustain your actions towards a goal requires executive functioning. Not going off on a tangent, becoming distracted, giving up, but maintaining your focus requires executive functioning. So it's sort of neat to think that physical exercise can actually help you to achieve this. I'd also like to talk about nutrition and supplements and really medication where appropriate and prescribed by a professional. We at PanicAttackRecovery.com are not anti-medication. As I said, we look at a biopsychosocial model. That's what we have found amongst our community works the best. If we look at the range of people out there, not everyone takes medication or finds it helpful, but there's a fairly large number who do. I remember consulting with a pediatrician once, and we were talking about medication for children with ADHD and anxiety, Really, what she said was, you know, it's not a magic pill. She was very realistic about her approach to a very seasoned uh, pediatrician. She said, it can help for sure, but we're not saying it's a magic pill. So again, it's the same concept that I talked about earlier. A little bit of a benefit from each of these things will add up to a huge benefit. But also supplements. Some people that don't handle medication well or aren't using medication have considered supplements. Broad spectrum supplements, multi-mineral and vitamins. Now, there's research, a number of studies, and you can get references from our website on this. They, they look at the benefit of broad-spectrum nutritional supplements in treating ADHD, psychosis, bipolar disorder, anxiety, and even more recently, stress and PTSD associated with Canterbury earthquakes in New Zealand. There was even research cited demonstrating that just eating a healthy diet, meaning a diet that consists of foods in their natural form, such as fresh produce, fish, and nuts, very different from a traditional Western diet, and that's not all they're eating, but I'm just giving you some examples, can be very helpful for mental health as well. Now, here's a perfect example. Eating a healthy diet or taking a supplement doesn't mean that you're necessarily going to get an instant sort of form of relief or what you might think is a quick form of relief, but it doesn't mean that these things are not beneficial for you. Here's another way to think about it. Even if these things were not benefiting your mental health in really a noticeable way, there's enough research out there that, that tells you that eating a healthy diet and eating healthy foods can be very good for your physical health. I think this is an exciting topic around nutrition and supplements, and I think that more research will be done in this, which will prove more interesting. Another thing that we looked at, a little bit different from nutrition, but, but again, sort of in the similar vein, is looking at healthy gut and probiotics and having a healthy balance of bacteria throughout your body and a lot of research that has come out about that. The concept of eating a diet that's healthy can also help your, your microbiome, as it's called, which can have an effect on your mental health and physical health. 
Again, in a similar vein, omega-3 fatty acids found in fish and some nuts and other items, but often the form in fish, if it's good-grade pharmaceutical fish oil, can be very good for you and purified using a process to purify it. Now, I'm not suggesting that omega-3 is a cure-all, but again, omega-3 fatty acids are essential for your body, and they may have a small benefit or they may have a big benefit. There are some research out with ADHD and anxiety that suggests that it may be helpful for anxiety and ADHD. And certainly it is reasonable, I think, that not getting enough omega-3 fatty acids could have a negative effect on the brain. Therefore, it makes sense that anyone suffering anxiety and ADHD consider ensuring that they consume adequate levels of omega-3 fatty acids. Drinking enough water is another topic that I like to discuss. If you think about it, and I might sound a bit preachy here, water is beneficial for a variety of reasons, some of which are transporting nutrients, oxygen and glucose throughout the body, helping you flush toxins out of your body, lubricating joints, cushioning organs, aiding in digestion, helping with constipation. When one considers that 85% of brain tissue is water, it seems like a good incentive for an anxiety and ADHD sufferer to ensure that they're getting enough water. But I would like to mention that in my personal experience, I started increasing my water intake when my suffering of anxiety and ADHD was at its worst. And I found that it, I began to have more energy. I even tended to eat less. I wasn't as hungry, which was a good thing because I had been trying to lose a few pounds. I can say that my mood was better when I increased my water intake. Now, I'm not saying I was dehydrated. I, I think that I probably got a fairly good number of fluids, but I don't think that I probably got enough. But yet I did feel a benefit from increasing my water. And certainly if you're taking uh, medication, you don't want to overdo water because you don't want to negate the effect of the medication. So it's something to talk about with the doctor. Again, I'm not talking about overdoing water because it's possible to overdo the amount of water you drink and have a negative effect. I'm just talking about ensuring you're drinking enough water each day. And really, when I think about people who are really ill and sick or having a variety of problems, asking people a simple question, you know, how much water are you drinking? And I've often wondered, you know, for people who don't drink enough water, what would happen over time if they increased their water and they consumed enough water? Would they see a benefit in their health in the long term? So. To summarize today what I'd like to discuss, I'd like to say you don't have to spend a lot of time on any individual thing each day. You can do a little bit of each of the things I've discussed, or not even do everything every day, but you can still do it regularly, perhaps a couple of times a week. Doing things regularly doesn't mean doing them every day. It is important to keep a regular frequency. And you're only limited by your creative imagination, so feel free to come up with a schedule that works for you that allows you to do these things regularly. I think if you knew the collective or synergistic benefit, you'd be able to find a little bit of time each day to do these things. As I've said before, I believe that the best approach for recovery from panic attacks and ADHD is a holistic approach, an all-encompassing approach where you can address all aspects of your recovery, simply integrating a number of techniques and using them on a regular basis. Thank you for listening to the Panic Attack Recovery Podcast. Make sure that you have subscribed to our podcast and please comment and rate us on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. All show notes and links are accessible from our website. Please visit our site and subscribe to our free newsletter at panicattackrecovery.com.
All information has been provided for educational purposes. Please consult a healthcare professional about any disorder or condition and the applicability of any information provided in this podcast.